So I've titled this message, The, the Missio Dei, um, The Sending of God. And we're going to be talking about that, defining Missio Dei here in a few moments. But to get us thinking, I want to show you a, a little picture here of um, the Apollo 11 um, moon landing. July 20th, 1969. I was not alive to see that. Uh, I wish I would have been, but how many of you remember that? You saw that, you know where you were, you remember when that happened, you have this image in your mind and hearing the voice of Neil Armstrong saying, this is one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Yeah, that was a monumental moment in the life of our history and especially in the life of, of space navigation and science and technology and it really kind of a, was a catalyst for us as a country in uh, all the things that were going to happen throughout the 70s, the 80s and beyond with aerospace engineering and technology. And these kinds of things just fascinate me. So um, you, you might know this already, but I like history. Uh, it's one of the things that I look to often and uh, every Sunday in our new church we'll have a little bit of a history lesson, okay? It's okay to laugh, guys. It's just a joke, all right? It's just a joke. There you go. Um, but I was looking at this, and I thought for a moment this week, the Apollo 11 of moon landing. Like, how did that happen? How did, how did three men, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Mike McConnell, or Mike Collins, how did they get to the moon on July 20th, 1969? Like, really, what happened? What led to this moment in time that would say, we're going to go to the moon? How many of you know there's a voice of authority, there's a voice of leadership behind all of this? And whose voice was that? President John Kennedy, right? So seven years earlier, at Rice University, John Kennedy gave a speech. He gave many speeches about uh, moon uh, landing and, and space exploration, but this is one of the speeches he gave on September 12, 1962, seven years prior to the moon landing. He said, but why say, but why, some say the moon, why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? That was a little joke as he was speaking to Rice. Um, we choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one which we intend to win, and others too. I love this kind of, of, of voice of vision and leadership and authority with John, President John F. Kennedy saying, we're going to the moon. And later on in the speech, he even talked about things that were necessary for that to happen, such as new alloy metals that he gives reference to that aren't even invented yet, that we're going to have to do all of these things in order to get to the moon. But his main point, his main goal for us as a country was that we are going to the moon. And seven years later, three men went to the moon. It's an amazing aspect, but I think it has a lot to do as well with Understanding God being the Missio Dei, the sending God. So let me define this for a minute. When we talk about Missio Dei, what are we talking about? This comes out of a book that I've been reading called The Missional Quest, and the authors define this very well. The word mission is derived from the Latin missio, meaning sending. And it is the central theme describing God's activity throughout all of history to restore creation. That God is a sending God, that we see God in many different ways. We like many different things about God. And we tend to focus on the things that we like, like we like his holiness, we like his majesty, we like his comfort, 
We like his counsel. We like the strength that he gives us to live every day. We like the way that he guides us and directs us. We like the way that he provides for us and meets all of our needs. We like everything that there is about God when we know that this is how we need to live each and every day. But under all these things, there's a nature of God that he is the sending God. He was the sending God before we even knew him in all these other ways. Let me read just a small excerpt out of this book. When we think of the attributes of God, we most often think of characteristics such as holiness, sovereignty, wisdom, justice, love, and so on, and rarely do we think of God's missionary nature. But Scripture teaches that God is a missionary God, ascending God. What's more, the Bible is a missionary book. Scripture is generated by and is all about God's mission activity. The word mission is derived, as we just said, the sending of God. From God's sending of Abram in Genesis 12 to the sending of his angel in Revelation 22, there are literally hundreds of examples in the Bible that portray God as the missionary sending God. In the Old Testament, God is presented as the sovereign Lord who sends in order to express and complete his redemptive mission. The Hebrew verb to send, or shalak, is found nearly 800 times in Scripture. While it is most often used in a variety of of sayings and phrases, it is employed more than 200 times with God as the subject of the verb. In other words, it is God who commissions and it is God who sends. In the book of Exodus, there is a fascinating dialogue surrounding God's prompting of Moses to confront Pharaoh. God is sending Moses to convince the king of Egypt to release the Israelites from bondage. In just six verses, there are five references to God as being the sending God. The prominence of sending language is not only seen in the books of Genesis, Exodus, but it's throughout all the historical books that God is continuing to send. Throughout the poetic books, God is ascending God. Throughout the prophetic books, God is ascending God. And when you consider the books of prophecy, it is easy to see that the prophets were first and foremost people who were sent by God. Perhaps the most dramatic illustration of sending in the Old Testament is found in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. In this passage, we catch a glimpse of God's sending nature. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And to this Isaiah emphasized, Here I am, send me. Just an amazing uh, reminder, I think, and and really for some of us it might be a new truth to, to grapple with, is that God is a sending God. He has actually always been sending, and he always will be sending. And in fact, as a church, we are called to continue to wait upon the sending nature of God as we wait for him to send his son back again. Amen? I'm going to say amen a lot, and when I say that, that means do you agree? And if you do, just say amen back, okay? Amen? All right, there you go. Because there's lots of things to consider here, and if you don't agree, that's okay too. But God's going to show us something today. God has always been sending. And we think about our Christian faith, we think about the aspects of of who we're called to be as a a person, as a people. Um, What are the hallmarks of living out the Christian faith? When we we give our life to Jesus, when we we surrender our will and decide to follow him, there are are new behaviors, new attitudes, new thoughts that we take upon ourselves. And and Jesus identified these very often. And there are two that I know that we we, we already um, realize and and try to put into our life, and these come out of Matthew uh, chapter 22. When Jesus was asked a question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in, in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law hangs on these two commandments. We look at this and we say, okay, the hallmark of being a, a Christian, living out my Christian faith, involves two things. Jesus said these, these are the greatest things, the greatest commandment. The first one is to love God, and the second one is to love other people, right? And so we know that. We put that into our life, and we try to be people who grow into that to, to realize that I need to put this into practice, and I need to make it part of my life because Jesus said it, and this is the greatest thing I can do. But there's a third thing. There's a, there's a third hallmark that I would say is just as important to our DNA in the life of a Christian. And that is, is later on when Jesus was talking uh, to his, with his disciples. Notice these words that he says. In Matthew 28, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is, a, this is another, I would say, a, a third part of our, of our core value of, of becoming, identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ and living for him is that we love God, we love other people, but then we also go. We go and make disciples of all nations. Just as much as loving God and loving people are non-negotiables, I think Jesus is clear here that going and making disciples is also a non-negotiable. Some of us lead, read our, our Bibles in print and on paper, and in, in the heading of this Bible, we, we call this what? The Great Commission, right? We have the Great Commandments, and we have the Great Commission. But maybe it's not the Great Commission. Maybe it's the Great Commission. Because God is the sending God. He is inviting us to join him, to, to be sent. That, that just as he has always been sending, he's saying, you're going to go also. And I'm sending you to go. And there will be places where you will go. And there will be people who you will minister to, who you will teach, who you will lead into a relationship with Jesus, who you will even get to baptize. And they will also become my disciples. You see, I think God knows a lot about sending people. I think it's the, a core aspect of his being. I'll admit, though, this is, some of this is very new information for me. You, you might know I've been a youth pastor, as Nate said, here for the past six years, but I've been in other churches as well. For 22 years, I've been working with students in student ministry since 1995. It's been the, 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 the main part of my adult life, the main part of my emphasis in ministry has been working with students. And when this opportunity developed over the winter to, to become a church planter, to go to a new area, I really had to go through my own process of understanding, like, God, what is it that you're, you're asking here? Like, why? Why would we even do this? Like, we have a church. We have a community. We have ministry. Like, what is the need here? And God brought me to some of these verses and these scriptures and these principles to say, but I'm not done yet. I'm sending you to, to a place and a people who need me, and they need, they need what you're going to bring in me to those places. So for some of us, we'll consider this this morning, and, and, and please know this is not a sales pitch. I know it might sound like it up front, but I'm not here to sell you anything. I don't like selling things. I'm not here to, to guilt you into anything. I'm not here to convince you. I'm just here to speak the truth of God's word. And whatever he wants to do in your life, I pray that you would be open to hearing that this morning. And so as I was going through my own process and, and coming to my own decision to, to step into this, God has shown me that there is a calling here. 
and it's a calling for us as a church. But he has shown me that this is nothing new because the God who we worship, as Hebrews says, is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And we can trust his nature. So here's a few things to know about that God knows how to send people because it turns out that that God sent Jesus, his own son. God sent his Savior to us. And oftentimes we, we, we think about Jesus in our life and, and how we know Jesus. And, and what is the phrasing that we use? That Jesus came to earth, right? That Jesus came to be among us. But behind all that is the truth that God is ascending God. That God himself decided to send Jesus as the mission. That Jesus was the mission and continues to be the mission. So consider these verses, John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That God made this, this, this moment uh, of decision in his, in his own being, in his own ministry, in his own oversight of the world to say, I'm going to send Jesus as the answer. The great reconciler, the, the, the great lover, the great savior is, is, is coming to earth, but he's only coming because God the Father made a decision to send Jesus to us. Amen? All right. John 10, 36 and 37. What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Jesus is saying here, why do you accuse me of blasphemy because I, because I said I am God's son do not believe me unless you believe the works of my Father. Jesus is identifying here that you, you, can't, you can't see me and look into me without knowing and realizing that the Father has sent me. This is not a lie. This is not blasphemy. I have been set apart to do the ministry of the Father on this earth. And then 1 John 4, 9, this is how we know, or this is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. So, so Jesus is, is the mission. He's the one who God sent to us. And it's, a, it's, the, it's proof that God has always had a mission for us and to save us. But Jesus had these moments in time as well where I think he had to go through an understanding that he is now being sent to, to us to save us. And in Philippians 2, 5 and 8, we understand a little bit about the relationship and the, the call of Jesus. It says, Paul is saying to the church, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus had. Think like Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used at his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even obedient to death, even obedient to death on a cross, and Jesus left heaven behind. It's, a, it's amazing insight into what Jesus um, had to go through and think about in, in order to be sent by God the Father, that, that, that Paul's words here are very clear, that, that Jesus had to humble himself and become like us. Let, let me just say, and I'll interject some thoughts here throughout today's message that, that might seem rather personal, but that's okay. I don't mind being personal, is that there's, a, there's some sort of a... Um, an interesting way that we look at church planting and say that it's, you know, it's like the glamorous side of ministry. 
to go be a church planter. And, you know, if you go to a, on the campus of a Christian college these days and, and you'll hear people talking about new ministries and, and new churches and, and, and new efforts and, and starting up new things like churches or nonprofit organizations, and, and it seems to be somewhat of a, of a trend or there just seems to be some sort of a, a glamorous way of looking at it to say, like, well, if you can do go do that, like, you're really somebody in the kingdom. And, and I just want to put that to rest this morning by saying it's really not glamorous to be a church planter, okay? Um, it's, it's really something where God is challenging me and encouraging me even to look at this and say, there's a humbling process that comes through this. Because to be a servant of the Most High God is not about you. <laughs> it is about the God who is sending you into that work. So we know that Jesus took on a posture of humility, but I think Jesus also took on a posture of, of subordination. Look at John chapter 8, verse 42. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own, but God sent me. So Jesus periodically, willingly is identifying the whole reason he's here is not his own will or his own decision, but there's a, a father God who he had to submit to to answer the call to be sent. In John 12, 42, or John 12, 49 Jesus said, I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say what I have spoken. You see, God has a will and a plan all along for people. He, he is absolutely people-centered. That God is thinking about people even now, and, and I think he's thinking about you right now. But just as much as he's thinking about you right now, he's thinking about the person beside you. He's thinking about the person who's sitting at home right now. He's thinking about the person at work. He's thinking about the person who's sleeping on the, on the street right now. He's thinking about people in other countries right now. He's thinking about people who absolutely have never heard the name of Jesus before. Am I speaking too fast? God is thinking about people right now. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that God is people-centered and he's thinking about us. And so the whole effort of his mission is really to reach the people who are on his mind. So we know that God sent Jesus and we praise him, <laughs> we thank him that we have a direct benefit as we receive Jesus into our life, that we get completion, we get a relationship with him, we get fulfillment, as Jesus said, that I have come to give you life and an abundant life. And we get to live in that every day. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonder of all wonders. It's a mystery that why God would want to fill us with his presence, but he's made that decision already that he does. And we get to benefit from that. But just as much as, as God sent Jesus, we also see that God sent other people. So let's take a look at a few of these this morning. Number two, we know that God sent Peter. <laughs> Peter was this guy who Jesus called early on to follow him, to get up out of a boat and to go follow him with his whole life in uh, and all-in and, and all commitment. You know, come up and follow me. And, and, and it says that Peter, you know, he did that. He followed Jesus. And, and you know, we, he struggled through his, his relationship of understanding what it meant to be a disciple. He, he had his own kind of tensions in life about how he saw things. And, and he was always looking for answers. He's always reasoning. He's always coming to maybe his own conclusions too quickly, and, and sometimes he responded without um, actually seeking the Lord on these things. And, uh, but we also know that Jesus loved him. We know that Jesus saw Peter, and, and he really loved him. In fact, he gave Peter even some special opportunities to see the kingdom the way that the other disciples didn't. So we see things like Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up on top of a mountain and showing them things and, and allowing them to see his holiness. And he cared for him. 
And in John 21, after Jesus had died and been resurrected and, and is, is establishing, you know, what is going to happen next with the church, we see Jesus having a, an intimate conversation with, with Peter on the beach. They had been fishing and eating breakfast. And, and it says in John 21, when they had finished eating, that Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I think it's really interesting, fascinating to see sometimes the imagery that Jesus used in making a point. Jesus could have talked about anything. He, he was used to talking about um, agricultural illustrations. He could have talked about plants. He could have talked about orchards. He could have talked about the wheat. He could have talked about trees. He could have used any other animal in this illustration that he, he wanted to, but Jesus made a decision to talk about sheep. Jesus is talking about sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And as I think about that, I wonder, why did he talk about sheep? And maybe it's because sometimes sheep are the hardest thing to take care of, aren't they? Sheep wander. They need a shepherd to, to, to lead them, to guide them, to, to, to keep them together and to care for them and to go after the one who is even lost. And so, so Jesus is saying here, Peter, like, you're not going to take care of, of anything just by staying here and being still and not doing anything. You're going to take care of my sheep, and to take care of my sheep means that you actually have to go. You have to go someplace. You have to follow them. You have to be with them. You have to go where they are and take care of them as they are. So Peter heard these words. And then later on at the day of Pentecost um, in Acts, Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit come. And, um, you know, they've been praying and, and the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus has said, you know, don't do anything yet. Wait for my Holy Spirit. You'll receive my Spirit. You'll be my witnesses then. And so they're all there gathered, and the Holy Spirit comes, and, and there are people there from all over the known world at that time, and, um, and the, the proclamation of the gospel was given, and it says that people began hearing the gospel in different tongues, and then everyone heard it in their own language. And then at the end of Acts chapter 2, we see that in the middle of the chapter, it says that the, the some were amazed, some were perplexed, and others said, these men are crazy. They've just had too much wine to drink. And so Peter, I think just in a moment of decision-making, he realizes that it's his moment to, to step up. And so he says to them, he says that Peter stood up with the 11, and he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And we see Jesus or Peter preaching the, the very first sermon. The very first message is given, and over 3,000 people in one day become believers and get baptized into this new Christian faith. And I think about that, and I think that here's Peter, who Jesus had just like questioned his own love. Do you really love me? Are you sure you love me? Do you love me? And here's Peter seeing the Holy Spirit come, and he's seeing that people are now like questioning it, and, and some are even mocking it and, and ridiculing it. And I have to wonder for a minute if Peter didn't have Jesus' voice in his head saying, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my flock. And Peter gets up, and he gives this great sermon. It really launched, I think, the church into a new work. The, the early church was birthed, and, and a whole new work is taking place. 
But later on, we also see Peter continuing to understand that he is the sent one from God, that God is not done sending yet. And so Peter has this vision. And, and you might remember the vision where he's, he sees the sheet drop down out of heaven. He sees all kinds of animals. And God is saying, you know, kill these animals and eat them in this vision. And Peter's like, no, God, I would never kill something that's unclean. These are unclean animals. And, and, and God says, no, they're not. <laughs> I'm now saying that you can do this. You can do this. And so we, we see kind of the meaning of this vision being carried out, this man named Cornelius who wanted to know God. He wanted to know that there is a God. He wanted his family to know about God. And it says one day in Acts chapter 10, one day at about three in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision. He saw an angel come to him and say, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up to me as a memorial offering before God. Now, I want you to send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is there called Peter. He is staying at another man's house named Simon who's a tanner. His house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to Cornelius had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. I think this is fascinating when you think about God as ascending God because God is ascending. He's sending people who do not yet know him. He's sending them to hear. And just as as he gave Peter this vision, he gave Cornelius also a vision. And it says in Acts 10, 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of his vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, and they stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the scripture or the spirit said to him, Simon, these men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them. Help me out, for I have sent them. There is so much wonderful mystery in the Bible that we still have yet to wrap our heads around. We have God raising up Peter, positioning him to receive the Holy Spirit, to to preach a sermon, and to, to start establishing the church, and yet we also see that God's not done with him yet. Because he is sending people, and he is sending Peter to go to people who still need to hear the good news about Jesus. I just love this. So God is telling Peter, go to people who you used to avoid, these Gentiles. You've never hung out with them before. You considered them unclean at one time. I'm changing your mind. I'm changing your thinking. Establish a new pattern here. You're going to go there. You're going to spend time with them. Um, I want you to go with this message that I've already given you, and you're going to love them. You're going to care for them. Feed my sheep. And I want you to go because I don't show favoritism. I want you to know that my gospel is for all people. You're not just going to go to the people who are like you. You're going to go to people who, who are even different because I don't show favoritism. So we see that, that God sent Jesus. We see that God sent Peter. And then thirdly, uh, we're going to look at God sending Paul or sending Saul, but renaming him, giving him the name of Paul. One of my really favorite characters of the Bible because God took this man who was a persecutor, a hater of Christians even, who hunted Christians, and, and he, he, he struck him down. He made him fall on his knees to, to engage with the presence of God, and he was blinded, and, and miraculously, God then restored his sight. 
And he called him to be this missionary pioneer, this, this pastor, this church planter. And we see Paul just going all over the known world at the time. And he's, he's not just establishing churches, but he's calling people to go with him. He's saying, you come with me, you come with me, you come with me. And they're just going. And at any moment in time, they don't know where they're going because they're listening to the Spirit of God. Some of us might not like that so much in our personalities because we like to plan things. And I'm, a, I'm like that too. I'm a planner. I'm a strategic analyst. I'm a logical, sequential thinker. I like to lay things out step by step by step. And I'll tell you, there's nothing that rocks your world more than God saying, hey, guess what? You're going to be a church planter this year. What? Okay. How do we plan that? Oh, you don't plan it. You just listen to me and you go do it. It is a good thing, but it's unlike anything that I've ever done before, and it's exciting. So we see later on in the book of Acts that Paul is actually on trial. He's actually having to give public testimony in a court of law about his faith. How did he become a Christian? Why did he do all these things that he did? And, and he's, giving, he's given a public record about, here's what happened to me. And so he says this in Acts 22. Then he said, Paul said, the God of our ancestors has, has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Wash your sins away, calling on his name. There, there's nothing like calling people out in a court of law, right? <laughs> I'm here because you need to know Jesus. And you need to have a, a, a new way of thinking. And then Acts 26, get up and stand on your feet. I have approved, or I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn from their darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul here is really just pointing out that he, the only reason he is doing what he's doing is because God raised him up to go do these things. That God had a plan behind all this from the beginning that people would know him and turn from sin, receive forgiveness, and turn from darkness to light. But I want to notice here just for a, a few moments that there's some similarities, I think, between Paul and between Peter. And maybe even for us today that they both received a vision. Peter's vision came in the middle of the night while he was sleeping. Paul's vision came, you know, he was struck down and he heard the voice of God telling him to get up and, and go to this house. But they both received sight, some sort of a vision that God put on their mind, that they would see life differently, that they would see themselves differently. I think God still speaks to us through dreams and visions. And um, maybe we need to be paying attention to that. So they both received a vision. But they both obeyed. There was a step of obedience that God is saying, okay, now that I have your attention, I want you to get up and I want you to go to this place. I want you to, to physically go to a new place and wait for what I'm going to tell you there. And we see that both of them obeyed immediately what God was asking them to do. Sometimes church planting can seem like it's this delayed decision, like we needed to sit on it for a few years and just wait. Maybe we're not hearing it correctly. Maybe it's not meant to be. But I think the mission of God, the sending God, is that now he has people waiting. And we need to be ready to respond. So they got the vision. There was obedience. And then they received further instruction. When they went to the next place, God instructed them, here's what you're going to do now. 
here's now the ministry that I have for you. I'll be very upfront with you, and this might actually concern some people in the room, and it concerns me a little bit. I don't have this great plan as to what a church looks like. I've been asked that already. What's your plan for the new church? Well, we're going to go start a new church. But what's your plan? I don't know yet because God hasn't revealed all that to me yet. He's revealing some things, but I don't have all things, so I'm waiting for further instruction. And then also there was confirmation. Both Peter and Paul received great confirmation from the Holy Spirit that they were, they were on track with God's will, that, that continually they reminded that God was with them, people were coming around them, and, and, and ministry was taking place, and, and new converts we're right there with them. So there's confirmation. And then they also experience spiritual fruit in their life. For each one of them, they received great spiritual blessing and experienced spiritual fruit in ministry as the church was, was rising up. So that leads us really to the last point, and maybe it's really the only point that needs to be made today, <laughs> is that I believe that because God is the sending God, that he's also sending you. He's sending us. He's, his nature is to send. His, his, his plan for us has included the fact that he's been ascending God. His plan for the world yet continues because he continues to be ascending God. His work on earth is not yet done because he continues to be ascending God. Are you with me? God is ascending God. And I think that he's calling us to be sent. In John chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus says these words in his, his high priestly prayers. He's praying for all believers, his disciples. He's praying for the believers. He's praying for the future church in John chapter 17. And he says this, this sentence, as, as you have sent me into the world, Father, this is his prayer, as you have sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. There's an authorization here that Jesus is now giving to his disciples in prayer to say, you are now going to go into all the world. And then in John 20, he also says these words. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Leave no doubt, leave no room for doubt this morning that God is ascending God. And these words aren't just for a select few that were in an upper room, but they're for the church today. And so we, we come to this question, well, if we're a sent people, where is God sending us? There are many different places God is sending us. Each one of us might even have a different place that God is sending us. But here's a few places I already know and believe that God is sending us. He's sending us to our families. He's sending us to our neighborhoods, our community organizations or civic groups, to schools. He's sending us to workplaces. He's sending us to our regular activities of the day. How do I know that? Because in this first sermon that Jesus gave, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, some of the most important and impressionable words I'm sure that you've ever heard from Jesus are this, that you're called to be the salt of the earth and the light in dark places. And that we are still the salt and the light on this planet. That God has, has, has ordained us and he's actually inviting us to, to represent the kingdom wherever we go. Paul says the word ambassador, that you are an ambassador of King Jesus. So in your workplaces, it's not just about a paycheck. It's about doing things with character and integrity. It's about uh, 
allowing yourself to answer questions based upon what you believe. In our schools, it's not just about learning and, and doing assignments. It's about doing things with integrity and character and answering questions based upon the faith that we have in Jesus. In our neighborhoods, it's about doing things and, and being a, a light to those around us that maybe there's, there's brokenness, there's hurt, there are people who need a, a voice of hope in their life, and we can be that. All these kinds of places. It's not an accident that you are where you are and that you go where you go because there's a sending God who is sending you to those places. Amen? All right, so there's a, one more slide here, places that we are sent. I also think that we're sent on global mission. We're sent to churches, and we're sent to plant churches. There is still a lot of work left to do on our planet. There is an amazing amount of need. There are hundreds of people groups representing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, who still do not yet have a written form of scripture in their language. There are nations that have never heard the word Jesus being uttered. You might find that hard to believe. I know I do. But it is the truth. This world still has parts that have yet to know that there is a God who loves them and would send a son to save them. There are churches that, that require community and health and, and ministry leaders. And then there are church plants. Obviously, church plants is something that's on my heart today and, and why I'm bringing this message to you. The church will, will be a, a beacon of light wherever it exists. I believe that's the, the purpose of a church, to bring hope into a community. So let me tell you just a few things about this church plant. Gettysburg Foursquare Church Plant or uh, New Oxford Foursquare is what we will we'll call it uh, for now. But this is, this is our church plant because... We've been given a gift and an opportunity that the denomination and um, the leaders there as well as the leaders here at Gettysburg have agreed that we will start this new church. And let me just be clear about that. This is not my decision, okay? This is a great group of leaders in our church and denomination who have said we want to plant a new church in New Oxford. And so a, a few things to know about that. Uh, number one, this is not Dan's church we all have importance and significance. And I say that, and it kind of sounds funny, but I, I just want to be clear about that. The language of uh, identifying this church as me is, is really not my agenda. It's not even, I think sometimes it's not healthy because this is something that, that God is calling more than just this me to go. He's, he's raising up a group of people that he wants to send to this area, to this town, one zip code over to say, I want you to be the salt and light in that community. So it's not mine, it is the Lord's church. It was his long before I heard the call and it will be his long after I'm no longer there. This is his work. And then number two, um, this is the Lord's church, it's his mission, it's his calling. Um, and there's, there's really an opportunity here for others to respond today, that God is the sender. And, and again, this is not to you know, manipulate or anything, I'm just, I just know for a fact that there are still people who God wants to call into this work. And, and I think you should consider that today. I've heard of, of some who are, you know, wrestling through this, and that's okay. I, I would just say, sitting on a fence, you can only sit on a fence for so long, right? And you fall off or get hurt. But God wants you to consider his calling to say, 
is this for you or not? And if you, and if you have thoughts about discussing that, you know, please come see me. I'll pray with you and we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, and then number three, uh, as I mentioned, this is Gettysburg Plant with uh, our leadership um, fully supporting it behind it. I was at a, at a church planters retreat um, this weekend uh, down in southern Virginia with uh, about 10 other church planters, and it is just, it's just so encouraging and invigorating to know that our denomination is a church planting denomination. This is just not the, an idea of someone or a few people. This is the movement of Foursquare, that we are planting churches all over this world, and that we as a church in Gettysburg get to be part of this movement should be exciting for us, okay? It should be exciting because it's an invitation by God to say, join me. I'm sending people, and I want to send you right now. And then fourthly, um, really just uh, something to know as well, that um, there's a parent-child relationship here. And so those who are already have agreed to come along, it's not that we're going to act like children, um, but that we get to play the role of a child. And those who are here at Gettysburg, you get to play the role as a, 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 as a parent, and, and for those of us who have families and have raised children, we might understand that a little bit of what a child needs to be nurtured and sent off and raised up and be given independence. And that's really where we are right now, that we're in this parent-child uh, relationship. I want to share with you very quickly, I know we're almost out of time, or we are, but I want to share quickly about the values or the vision of our church. I really believe um, God has put on my heart to share these with you today, that our vision is going to be that we're going to increase faith. We're going to, to bring hope and we're going to live in love because we're highly devoted to God and to each other. These come directly from 1 Corinthians 13 and Romans 10. I believe this is the, 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 the DNA of our new church, of what we will do in a, in a new location and, and with new, a new community around us. These are important aspects of our work. But then along with that, I think there are certain values that, that we can already identify. These are values that God has given to us as a new church, uh, discipleship is going to be a value. And don't, don't be lost or, or confused by the word uh, mentoring. Um, discipleship and, and mentoring kind of go closely, but they're not the exact same thing. But discipleship is more about having intentional relationships, just being very intentional and authentic with one another, with Jesus at the center. And so that's going to be part of our value. Uh, being missional, as I've already mentioned, that we're going to be part of God's work of, of building the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, health and fitness, don't be lost on that too. I still have a lot of work to do in that. But I believe that God is raising us up to meet a need in the community. And uh, part of that could be through a health and fitness uh, approach to, to ministry. And we already have several people that are on board with us that share that value. And so I can't help but think that God's going to do something with health and fitness uh, in our new church. And then lastly, worship and proclamation. That we're going to worship the living king. We're going to proclaim him. We're going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and the New Oxford area. But as the video mentioned, there's other locations that are going to benefit from that. Uh, we're going to reach into to other towns and hamlets or villages, and, and, and we're going to share God in all those places. So what are some next steps? And we end this morning this way by just giving uh, us as a church next steps to consider. Uh, number one, pray. I just can't ask you to do that enough. Not, and not just pray, don't, not for me or the new church, but just pray for pastors and church planters. Our pastor, Pastor Mark and, and Jerry on vacation this week, they need our prayers. Pastors need prayer. I cannot emphasize that enough. I need your prayer. Every pastor needs your prayer. And here's why. Because the enemy gets frustrated when the kingdom is advancing. The enemy is getting frustrated already in this new work. 
And, and I, I don't say this pridefully, but I can just tell you, as the first person to say yes, I feel that. I'm already feeling the enemy's frustration and what he wants to do to thwart our plans. And we need to pray against that. And number two, um, go. Some of us really need to consider that, that God is ascending God. He's asking us to go. Are we on mission with him? If, he, if he's speaking to you about that, don't delay. Number three, give. It's great to have the support of a new church and a parent church. And so next uh, week through the rest of the summer, we'll have an opportunity to, to give to the new work. Uh, as any new church does, we need resourcing. Um, we need to, the, the financial support and backing. And so there'll be an opportunity to give regularly, whether online or through um, paper giving, just to identify it towards uh, the New Oxford church plant. And uh, some of us are actually called to, to, to share in ministry like that, that we are, are backers and givers to what God is doing. And then um, the last thing is just uh, we're having a Sunday evening praise and worship service on July 9th. And I uh, invite anyone, whether you're committed to being a part of this or you just want to come and pray over it and praise with us, consider coming out to that. I, I want to end this morning in a, in a unique way. I'm just going to ask if you could stand up. And we're kind of spread out a little bit, some pockets here. But um, unity is a big thing in the life of the church that we need to be unified. And uh, as I just mentioned, I think the enemy... Um, he likes to wiggle his way into things when there isn't unity. And if he sees an opening, a gap, he'll take it. And whether you're staying here at, you know, at Gettysburg, you feel sent here, awesome. We're still unified. If you're coming along to a new church plant, awesome. We're still unified. Don't, don't let the, the, the vision of the location determine the unity. The unity is that we are the body of Christ. Amen? Okay. That's the unity. Our hope rests firm on the foundation of Jesus Christ who is building his church all over this world, not just in 17325, not just in 17350. I should know the zip code. But everywhere. So I want to ask if you guys can just come close together with other people and actually take a hand, find a hand, <laughs> take a hand, because we're going to show some physical unity in, a, in the spiritual realms this morning as we pray over this new church and pray over this church, pray over the kingdom of God, that we are unified, that we know that God is sending us. He is sending us in personal ways to our, 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 our areas. He's sending us as a church, and, and he is... He wants us to know that we're unified because of him. Lord, this morning we, we praise you because, God, you are the sending God. Our life would be as far apart from you as possible if it weren't for you, God, to send your son to bring us back into relationship with you. We love you, God. We are so thankful that you thought of us in that way, that you would send your son. And Lord, you are continuing to send your church. There are many people, Lord, who still have yet to hear the good news about Jesus, who have yet to have hope and faith and love in their life, God. And you have already established a plan and a will. And so this morning, God, we stand in unity to say that we agree with you in your plan for this world. Until the day when Jesus comes back, God, we will continue the work of the kingdom. And we are unified in that, Lord. We stand in unity this morning, and, and, and we stand in unity because we also know there's a war. There's a battle taking place, as Paul said, in the heavenly realms. Even right now, there's a war raging that we cannot see with our own eyes, but the enemy would like to have nothing more than division. And so, God, we stand in unity against the enemy. 
In Jesus' name, we stand against what the enemy would do in our personal lives and in the corporate life of the church, God. Thank you for unifying us this morning. I pray, God, this is not just a token or a symbolic act, but God, this is really the life that we live in unity with one another. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen.